For BYU-Idaho Radio, I'm Celeste Simmons. I'm here today with Dixie Jameson, a faculty member of the nursing department here at BYU-Idaho. Thank you so much for meeting with me today, Sister Jameson. You're welcome. So how long have you been a nursing professor here at BYU-Idaho? I started in 2014. First as an adjunct for a few years and then full-time starting in 2016. And what inspired you to pursue nursing? So I actually wanted to be a doctor, but as I was looking at the um, career of being a physician and what it would demand, I felt like nursing would jive a little bit better with what my vision was for my family and kind of have a better, for me, work-life balance as a nurse. Making that switch from wanting to be a doctor to becoming a nurse, how has that been beneficial to you in your life? Um, I think probably the biggest benefit really had to do with my kids because I was able to ebb and flow in the workforce depending on what my family needed. And so I had a lot of flexibility that would have been a little more difficult if I had gone on to med school because med school is expensive. It takes a lot of time. And I think I would have felt a lot more pressure to work a lot more when my children were younger. So for me, it was, it was a really nice way to still have kind of that clinical experience while be able to also focus on my children and my husband. Right. And so obviously after graduation, you did work in the nursing field as a nurse for a while. Mm -hmm. And what made you transition to becoming a professor at the nursing department? (laughs) Good question. Um, Can I just say God? (laughs) It wasn't my plan. I, I did not want to be a teacher. I never wanted to be a teacher. But I had a really incredible mentor who was a respiratory therapist, and we were talking one night at the hospital in the middle of the night, and I was telling him that I was getting ready to take some tests so that I could apply for graduate programs to become a nurse practitioner. And he really gave me some advice that he felt like I needed to hear, and he he said, listen, if if you go to be a nurse practitioner, how many people will you help? in the course of a year. And I said, I don't know. I have no idea. So he made me give a number. I said a thousand. And he said, okay, so as a nurse practitioner, you'll help a thousand people in a year. If you're a nursing professor, how many people will you help? And I said, or how many students will you teach? And I said, I don't know, like 150 in a year, you know, 160, I don't know. And he said, and how many patients will each one of those nurses help? And then he pointed his finger at my face and he said, you don't need to be a nurse practitioner. You need to be a professor. And it was the first time that I really thought about becoming a faculty member because it truly wasn't in my plan. And as I prayed about what to do, I had a pretty strong impression that I was not to become a nurse practitioner. So here I am. Wow. It's so interesting to look back, right, and see like the stepping stones to lead where you are now. And how did you, obviously it was a scary moment, I bet, to be like, wait, that's not part of my plan. You know, I was planning on doing something totally different. Um, But what helped you take that leap of faith and have the courage to move forward becoming a professor? Well, I think there's a few things. I didn't jump right into becoming a professor. And so the first thing was just deciding to go to grad school. And I really kind of decided it on a whim. And um, I mean, I had been thinking about it, but all of a sudden, I my friend called and said, hey, there's this program. Do you want to apply? There are deadlines in two days. What do you want to do? She's like, I'm going to do this. 
So I thought, well, should I? I called my husband. He said, absolutely. So I applied and I got in. Of course, everybody gets in. And um, all of a sudden, before I knew it, I had a master's degree and no plan. So everything just kind of unfolded in a gradual format. I called the department head from the nursing department and I said, hey, I have this master's degree and I don't really want to use it a whole lot, but do you guys need a little bit of help? And they said, sure thing. I didn't even have an interview. (laughs) They just hired me on the spot. They must have been desperate. And all of a sudden I was working as an adjunct and I just kept getting kind of pulled into that faculty opportunity even though I wasn't seeking it. Because I, to be honest, I didn't want to work full-time. I wanted to stay home, take care of my kids, make them breakfast, make them dinner, work in my yard. Um, you know, that was kind of my life plan, but that's not what the Lord had in mind. And during your time here at BOU-Idaho, you've had the opportunity to go on sabbatical. When did you leave? When did you come back? Tell me about your experience. Well, maybe I should frame kind of what this is, what the sabbatical experience actually is. So we don't really call it sabbatical at BYU-Idaho, but that's a common term people know. But every five years as full-time faculty, we're given the opportunity to apply for a faculty development leave. And people do it in various formats, but I applied It was a huge process for me with all the paperwork and the things I needed to put together for mine because my my plan was kind of extensive. Um, I don't think they're normally that bad, but I applied and it went through a review board. It got approved and then I took the entire fall semester off technically. And so during that time, you still get a paycheck, but you are doing other duties and other things that you normally wouldn't have time to do. And so I took that time and I wanted to deepen uh, my understanding of a few things that were going on. And so I went with some pretty lined out objectives. What were what was your objective with going on this quote unquote sabbatical for BYU-Idaho? And um, what was your outline? What was your plan? So my big overarching question was how do we innovate and serve the changing demographic of our BYU-Idaho students? And the reason I was interested in that is that I'm I'm currently full-time faculty for the Department of Nursing, but I'm also, I have the privilege of serving as the associate dean. We have a huge number of students that attend BYU-Idaho ver- via various online platforms. Actually, more students in online than we have on campus. So it's a huge number of students, and we have growing bodies of international students where English is their second language. Maybe their school system is dramatically different than what we're used to. Um, Their lives often are very different than what we're used to. And so I wanted to understand how we can help the one, those that maybe really need the help the most. And we were tasked as the College of Agriculture and Life Science and all the colleges here to create viable plans to really fine-tune the current online certificate offerings and to um, serve our changing demographic in a much better way. But how do you do that if you don't understand the need? And so that's why I wanted to go. I wanted to understand on as good a level as I could what their needs are. And so that's the framework of, of what started my faculty development plan. And where did you go to, to research? 
So I went, but the majority of my time was spent in Iquitos, Peru. And I chose Iquitos, Peru um, for a couple reasons, well, several reasons. I was looking for a place that has fairly low path, BYU pathway enrollments, but at the same time has a fairly robust church membership because BYU pathway and church membership kind of go hand in hand because that's often who knows about BYU Pathway. So I wanted to choose an area where people were interested but not doing Pathway because what a lot of people don't understand is that BYU-Idaho and BYU Pathway work really closely together, and so we often teach and design classes for students that are attending BYU Pathway right here in Rexburg, Idaho. And so... Uh, Iquitos, Peru met that demographic. I was also looking for an area where Spanish is the primary language and English is the secondary language because I I really wanted my whole life to become fluent in Spanish. It is a slow, slow process. Um, There were other some other things that I was looking for. Safety is always paramount. And so I needed a place that I could be safe in. And my family's actually traveled to Iquitos, Peru before. And so we had kind of a network from when we had gone before that I knew I could trust. And some people ask, like, why are you going back? Do you want to just relive your old vacation? Let me tell you, no. I love Iquitos. It feels like home to me now, especially after being there this fall and living there. But if I was going to choose a place to go back to, it'd probably be like Tonga, and I would go to some amazing beaches or something else. But it really did meet the demographic. I also wanted an area where the economy is really struggling. I wanted an area that has a university that has a nursing program and a hospital. That's always important if you get sick or injured. And I also wanted an area that I could do some community nursing experiences because I teach Nursing 433, which is called Population Health we call it community nursing for short. And so I wanted to kind of tie all those things into the location that I chose. And Iquitos, Peru just checked every single box. So it sounds like you had obviously many amazing experiences um, during your time in Peru. What are some of the things that you did, tasks day to day, or some of the projects that you were able to accomplish and do um, during your time there? I, I actually flew to Pucallpa, which is one of the cities, and I met with some government officials and toured well sites that the church has built, um, met with Pathway people there and like a bunch of students. It was a pretty powerful experience. Mm-hmm. I also went to the deep jungle to our, our old tour guide who we've become really good friends with um, to do a community nursing project and to kind of scope out some clinics to see if we could do some remote um, shared experiences for my class. It won't, it, we can't. It's not going to mm-hmm. work right now. But the deep jungle was fascinating. Yeah. We also went to our friend. He has built an eco-lodge. And so I wanted to understand how people become successful. So I was meeting with small business owners mm-hmm. and trying to understand their mindset. Mm-hmm. And so I met with, we have a student up here locally that's that's from Iquitos. And he, he came while I was down there. So I met with his family. I went to... Um, our friend's eco-lodge, and he showed us the backstory. So, like, like we went, but we weren't going like tourists. And so I had to cook the food in the lodge, which is like camping. I was so grateful that I'd camped mm-hmm. and done camping because <laughs> cooking in the jungle, you know, what do I do? Yeah. Um, 
But we got to see kind of the backside of what it's like to start an eco-lodge. How does it work? How does the family make it go? Um, our the, area, the Welfare Self-Reliance Service contact, the person I worked with extensively, his name is Hermano Sergio, he has started a chocolate farm. So I went to his chocolate farm, and they taught me how they, how they process chocolate. Wow. All of the experiences that you've had just sound so amazing, something unforgettable. And now that you are back in the United States, you've been here for about a month, how have you changed? How have you as a person, just your nature and way of being, how have you changed because of your experiences in Peru? You know, years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Tonga with the nursing program years ago. And my boys were really little at the time. And I had asked my boys to gather some toys for me to take to kids while I was there to give away because I wanted my kids to learn how to give away things. And so my sweet boys went and picked their very best Hot Wheels. And they gave me those Hot Wheels and I, and I took them to Tonga. And we were just teaching kids how to brush their teeth. It doesn't sound very glamorous or exciting, but I'll never forget. We went to this village or this little area and it was a kindergarten school. And we taught the kids how to, how to brush their teeth. And in this area, there, there are no toys, which isn't a bad thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but there are no toys. And so we gave out these Hot Wheels to the little boys because we had bows and things for the hair. We figured the boys may not be as interested in those. They might have. But we just kind of divvied up things that we had and gave them to these kindergarten kids. And these little kids with these Hot Wheels did what every other kid does with Hot Wheels. They took their Hot Wheel and their friend took their Hot Wheel and then they crashed them together and they made car sounds. And it was this big epiphany to me that it doesn't matter where you are. I mean, I already knew people are people, but it just really reinforced that we're the same. We have differences and we need to celebrate those, but we're the same. And that was what was reinforced to me when I was down in Iquitos. I had the opportunity to meet with a, a lot of wards, a lot of stakes, um, spend time in the deep jungle, which I haven't told you about that one. That was amazing. And in one of my meetings, this amazing group of people that are currently BYU-Idaho students through, uh, through BYU Pathway or they're BYU Pathway students or they're studying English Connect so they can go to BYU Pathway um, or they've graduated. There was kind of this mix. And they said, we need mentors. And I agree. Like, there is a need for mentoring. But I was thinking, how do we... We can't solve this problem. And so I turned the question around on them. And I said, all right, I want you guys to look at everybody in this room. They were, they're inspiring people, amazing people. And I said, what if we changed our question? I said, I'll take your question back to Idaho. And I will absolutely do what I can in Idaho to relay this and help reinforce the need for mentors. But what if the real solution came from here? What if instead of looking for a mentor, you looked for an opportunity to mentor or help someone else? And I think that's one of the keys. Sometimes we look for a solution for someone to come save us when the answer is already right there in front of us. 
those people that I was meeting with in Iquitos are shining stars. They are beautiful. They're gifted. They're talented. Their life looks different than ours and also the same. They still get tired. They still have heartache. They still have joy. But maybe the economy is a little harder. Maybe internet doesn't work well down there. But they're still able to solve problems. And they have the gift to do that. And so I think when we go to a place like this, we it's so easy when you come from the U.S. perspective to inadvertently maybe feel a little better than other people, right? I mean, we don't do it on purpose, but I'm not worried about the internet at my house. I mean, sometimes it goes out. That's annoying, but I'm not worried about that. My friend, Zena, her daughter needs to have her tonsils out. She's four years old. They cannot do that at their hospital. So this little girl has been on and off antibiotics for several years. Why? Because they don't have the capability. But what can we do to... So it it makes it where you start to realize... I don't know if I'm phrasing this right. But I have the capability for my children to have surgery if they need it. I have all of these things. And so we want to go to a place like Iquitos and share... But I think we have to take a step back and recognize the value of what they have and what they have to offer and never look at it as though we're better. Maybe my house is a little nicer by worldly standards, but it doesn't make my house better. Maybe I have more cars or a car. They don't even have cars. Maybe I have a car, but that doesn't make me better. It's just different. But what can I do to help empower them? And what can I do to not get into the mindset that I'm better than those others? Because I'm not. And what can I do to find ways to share what the Lord has blessed me with? It's a hard question to answer. I don't have the answer for that, by the way. When, I, when I've gone to some place to try to help out, whether it's local or international, I really live by three questions. Is it needed? Is it wanted? Is it sustainable? And so when I was coming to Peru, we... I reached out to our friend and I said, hey, we would like to go to your village. I think I can get some people to help because it's very remote. There's no access to a hospital. The closest hospital is two days away. Unless you're rich and you can get on a rapido, which is a fast boat. But most people, they don't have money for that. And even that, you have to wait till it comes by the next morning. So they're very isolated in that sense. But... They're very connected. They work together as a family. We held a clinic because it was determined what was needed and wanted were eyeglasses. And I don't know about you, but I've had LASIK. I used to wear contacts. Not being able to see would be really challenging. And so I consulted with some ophthalmologists. I said, how do we do this? How is it effectively done? And I packed suitcases full of eyeglasses that my amazing neighbors donated And some bought new glasses, and we took them down. And I watched people cry. But more importantly, the village didn't keep it to themselves. They reached out to the surrounding villages. So people from villages an hour or two hour away came. And the village could have easily just kept it quiet. Let's see what we need first. But they didn't do that. They shared. And that's what you see so often when you go on an experience like this, 
that that human nature um it it always inspires Thank you so much, Sister Jameson, for sharing your experiences with me today and for inspiring me as well as the listeners because it's so important what we were talking about, this human connection, making connections with people who may seem different from us, but in reality, we can find a lot of similarities between each other. So, oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you.